Welcome to Commission. I'm Pastor Eric Teitelman. And I'm Jed Robine. In each episode, we will talk about the gospel of the kingdom, declaring God's heart for the restoration of Israel and all the nations. So join us as we together explore the mysteries of the one new man. Welcome to the Commission Podcast. My name is Jed Robine. I'm the founder of Pilgrim Way Ministries. I'm with Eric Teitelman, the founder of House of David Ministries. And we have started this podcast in order to further our conversation that we've been having for going on four years. We want to invite you to join us on this conversation as we discuss the gospel of the kingdom, the restoration of Israel and the nations, the beauty of the one new man, Jewish and Gentile believer unity in Messiah. And as we start this journey, we thought it was appropriate to begin with just sharing a little bit about our own stories. How did we get into this ministry partnership together? And this first episode of our podcast will be me interviewing Eric. Uh, he will interview me. We'll kind of go back and forth as we start this podcast. And we'll, uh, the goal is that we will dive into a lot of topics in this format, uh, conversational opportunities to just discuss themes and topics from the scriptures. But I'm excited to cue you up, Mr. Teitelman. I hope you're ready for this. I am ready. I think your story is an amazing one and can be an encouragement to many believers. And I'd like to dive in. First question, uh, you've born in America, end up going to Israel, back to America, back to Israel, back to America. It's an amazing journey, almost an odyssey you've been on. Can you share with our listeners where you were born, your family, how you ended up going to Israel the first time? I sure can. My parents were both working in Chicago, 1960s. They were working as social workers. I was born in Chicago, downtown Edgewater Hospital. It's no longer there, but uh, that's where my life began. They moved from Chicago to Berkeley in 1968. I was a baby, so they packed up the station wagon, their belongings, whatever we had, and a few cats, and away we went, cross-country to San Diego, but they eventually landed in Berkeley, California in 1968. My sister was born about two years later in, in Berkeley. An interesting time in American history. Very interesting time <laughs> in American history. And also uh, the Jesus movement That's uh, right. during that same time period. And what did you know of Jesus at this point in your life? Not much. Uh, I mean, like I said, my parents were both Jewish. My mother, being in Berkeley, I think got herself wrapped up in some New Age prophets. Che Guevara and Edgar Casey come to mind. And somewhere in that mix was Jesus. And I'm not sure exactly what she thought about Jesus, but I think she liked some of his teachings. She thought he was a pretty impressive guy and um, maybe in his own right a prophet or rabbi. Of course, she never accepted him as Messiah. Although she, it's funny, she called him a Messiah, but in her mind, you know, that's interesting because there are a lot of Messiahs in the, right. in the Jewish culture. So one of many. One of many, that's but right. But not a foreign name to you. Not a foreign name, no. Gotcha. No. And how old were you when you all make Aliyah and return to Israel? 1973, so I was about five, and my sister Alexa was born, so she was about two and a half. And so the four of us uh, moved to Nazareth Elite, which is right next door to Nazareth. And we were in an integration center for a short period of time, and then after that, they put us into an apartment in Haifa. And what was that like for a five-year-old? It was tough, I'll be sure. honest. It was uh, the language barrier was difficult, and the cultural barriers were were difficult to overcome. So it was it was a difficult time. Uh, 
brand new culture, everything new. Yep, brand new culture, brand new language for me. And what was your family life like there? It was a it was a mess. My parents uh, fought a lot. Uh, they probably would have gotten divorced a couple of years earlier, but my sister came along, and I think they wanted to try to stick it out a little bit longer. But they were. Um, it was not a good. It was not a pleasant uh, household. No. And so you end up having some chaos at home. Yeah. You all end up coming back to the States for a season. Is that right? They did. They came back to the U.S. My father had a hard time finding work in Israel, or at least consistent work that paid bills. And he decided to go back to the United States. He came back first by himself. And then my mother and the rest of us had to come back uh, shortly after that. And what time do you come back to Israel the second time now? So it was a couple of years later, so they got divorced. I think it was 1975 or 76. And then in 1977, uh, my mother packed us up, uh, my sister and I, and we went back to Israel. And this time we were in a different place. We were in, uh, outside of Tel Aviv in a town called Lud. And uh, from from there, they put us up in an apartment in Batyam, which is a coastal community south of Tel Aviv and, and Jaffa. Where do you think your mother got this Zionist... Uh, persistence and endurance? That's a really interesting question. I'm, and I, I've wondered that myself. I, she grew up in a very secular, reformed, cultural, what I call cultural Jewish household. Uh, she's very different than, I think, her sister and even her parents. And she, she fought a lot with them, I know. She had a lot of differing views from both, both of her parents and her sister. And I, I kind of view her as the more spiritually tuned in one of the family. I mean, she was she had a very deep conviction and belief in God. Um, I, 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 my sense is she was searching for something that God had planted deep in her soul. Interesting. So she's she's drawn, and she takes you again through another uh, mm-hmm. upheaval to assimilate back into Israeli culture, which was difficult again you're with a the language. Older now, that's right. So now you're about nine. Is that right? That's right. So what was that like for you? What's going on when, as you come back into Israeli society this time? Well, it was a lot of the same challenges, the language barrier and, of sure. course, the cultural barrier. And now we're living in another integration center, and I'm meeting Jewish kids from all around the world. Uh, the good thing about being a kid is we learn language pretty fast. And I'd say within about six months, I was able to speak, communicate street-level Hebrew with some of the kids in the neighborhood. So that was that was a plus. But... My um, academic uh, life really struggled for quite a few years still after that. Uh, it's one thing to be able to speak a language right. to some degree, but then reading the language and then writing the language uh, took quite a few years to really get the get the handle on. And you're just playing catch-up to the other kids. Playing catch-up, that's right, with yeah. the other Native kids. That's right. One of the things we've talked about is the idea that you know the Lord is operative in your life long before you have any conscious awareness that's right. of, of His presence or him shaping you. Can you share with us from your perspective, some things that you feel like the Lord was shaping in you in this season of your life? Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, going to Israel, I mean, both times really was, was part of what he wanted to shape uh, for me. And I, I'll talk about that a little bit more. Um, you know, going to Israel, living in Israel, and then, you know, I stayed there the second time until 1984. You know, I became, for the, for the most part, I mean, I still had a very strong American identity, but I mean, I, I became also an Israeli citizen. I did finally learn and master the language, uh, writing, reading, and speaking the language on, uh, on a level that was very, very proficient. And, I, you know, I, I, I'd, 
was able to spend time in in uh, the land of you know the of it, you know Jerusalem and the land of the you know our homeland for the Jewish people and really gain an appreciation. One of the things, of course, that we do in Israel as students is they they spend a lot of time taking you to different places to teach you the history. Um, they really want the, the the Jewish people to learn and know the history of the land and and of our people in that area. Is there a place that you went to that that really connected with you? I always felt an incredible sense of peace going up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem to me was a very special city. I think even from a young age, even from the age of nine visiting, I I felt that there was something very unique about it. Um, I I loved the other natural parts of the country, especially the Golan and the Golan Heights and some of the wild areas, the rivers, the Banias and the Jordan River. Those areas uh, also I felt a deep sense of peace and belonging to. Um, one of the things that we, we've talked about is an interesting experience you had when you were nine, um, going to a Feast of Tabernacles celebration in Jerusalem. Can you share a little bit about that experience? I can. Uh, so my mother had met in in Chicago a number of years earlier. She'd met a Messianic friend. Uh, she was a believer, and her, she and her husband had moved to Israel. They were living in Netanya. So when we came back to Israel in 1977, we stayed with her for a few days, and she rec- she suggested my mother visit a Messianic congregation in Jerusalem called Nativia. And the rabbi there was uh, Moshe, um, well, I'm sorry, actually, the, the newer rabbi was um, Rabbi Joseph Shulam. He had taken over from the older rabbi, Moshe ben Meir, but we were invited to stay at, at uh, Moshe ben Meir's house, and his wife, Ahuva, was a Gentile believer from Finland. And I remember this incredible sense of peace about uh, their just their house, and it was during the Feast of Tabernacles, and they had a sukkah, a booth set up in their front courtyard, and he had brought me out in, into the sukkah and and taught me how to pray the prayers over the lulav, which is the palm front, and the elements that are wrapped up in it, the, the leafy willows, and the etrog, which is called a citron, or it looks like a, a lemon or a grapefruit, and you know, there's a set of prayers that we pray, the Jewish people, in all six directions of, of the earth. Right. I, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, here you are now with such a heart for the one new man, a heart for the restoration of the, of the nations, the heart for the restoration of Israel. Yes. And you're having a, a really deep encounter where you're encountering peace, the presence of the Lord in this festival. Yes. And obviously the Feast of Tabernacles, um, really points to the marriage supper of the lamb ultimately this fulfillment of the kingdom that's right where through every ethnic tr- tribe every tongue gathered around the table uh connected through faith in in Messiah mm-hmm. Jesus with uh with Israel that's right um and so here you are as a 9 year old being shaped in that can you talk a little bit more about you know are you seeing other believers around i mean here's a messianic congregation are there is are you are you seeing other christians coming into your world at this time well yes and you know i had friends i mean when i lived in 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 california i had friends that were christian and i i knew there was something different about us and them cuz they they went to church on sunday and i i couldn't go with them to church on sunday i wasn't actually even allowed to go over their house on sunday they had their own life that they lived and of course you know we went to our synagogue uh, which was a reformed synagogue and i went to hebrew school there but then when I get to Israel, 
I'm, you know, I'm a kid, right? So kids like to hang out with other kids. And I'm meeting other kids that are coming with their parents to Jerusalem, some of them from the United States, some of them from other parts of Europe and Finland. And, and so that, that was kind of my, you know, I'm not going into the services and I'm not listening to the sermons, but I'm interacting with these other Christian kids and, you know, meeting their parents. And I'm really kind of jealous, to be honest with you, about their lifestyle. I mean, there was something about them, their families that, of course, my family was already a mess and my parents were divorced and, you know, their families were much more put together. Um, they just seemed to have much more, I mean, they were prosperous. We were very poor living in Israel. Uh, we lived in government housing. We lived on government subsidies. And I was I was jealous, to be honest with you. And I was kind of a little bit embarrassed about our country itself. I mean, we were, you know, our country was largely poor. Everybody looked up to America. I mean, everybody wants to be an American. And Israel was, you know, no different. We wanted, we looked up to America and we wanted to be just like the Americans. So was there part of you as an American that's kind of like, why am I here? There was a big part of me that was like, why am I here? And I never really lost that sense of identity as an American kid. Uh, so I, you know, I assimilate into Israeli culture. I fit in, I speak the language, but, and it's interesting because I always made a point to let people know, Hey, I'm an American kid. And in America and Israel, if you're an American kid, you're kind of, you're popular. And so I use that a little bit to my leverage because people always wanted to hang around with the American kid. <laughs> and so, you know, I got, you know, I had some American clothes some Levi's and things like that, that they were, you know, kids were always jealous about, but, um, but yeah, no, I, I, you know, I, I never lost that identity. And, and while I felt on one level, you know, connection to Israel, I also felt this strong connection to the United States of America. Right. And you end up going back in, in 1984. Um, yes. And, and what kind of precipitated that decision? It was a combination of things. My mother had remarried. Of course, my father was also remarried. And, you know, my, my stepfather moved his kids into the house, into our small two-bedroom apartments. It was very crowded. I was also wanting to go off to college and study engineering or some vocational field like that. And that was probably not going to happen in Israel. We didn't have any money. And my chances of going to college in Israel were very, very slim. Um, I was not terribly excited about going in the Israeli military, to be honest. I'm, I, I was more interested in kind of getting my life together and, you know, studying, you know, getting a career, studying a vocation, and then starting a family. And Israel is, you know, it's difficult that way. You you have to serve in the military. It's mandatory for three years. Then you can go to college later on if you have the money and the time. And then after that, maybe you start a family. So I had a lot of reasons. And also I hadn't seen my father in probably five or six years. And I really wanted to kind of spend some time with him. So so things kind of line up for you to to go back across the pond. Yes. Uh, come back to America. You go to you go to school. Um Talk to us about maybe the re-entry back into American society because you've you've gone back and forth a number of times. Was yes. there a reverse culture shock? There was a reverse culture shock, and that was surprising. There was also a reverse language barrier now <laughs> because now I'm fluent in Hebrew, and I'm studying at a high school level in Hebrew, and my English had pretty much stayed at a nine you know nine nine year old level. And so I had a lot of catching up to do on on the language side, the English language side, and and even in college I had taken I had to take some extra classes, the English classes to catch up. But the culture was different, and it was interesting because I I think over the years of living in Israel, I found myself far more connected to the Israeli culture than I had previously thought. 
there was a seriousness about Israeli culture that I didn't find in the American culture. Americans were, it was, it was all about fun and games and football and cheerleading and partying, drinking, and just all the, you know, things that American high school kids and college kids like to do. And I was very matter of fact about my life. I wanted to go to college. I wanted to study engineering. I wanted to start, uh, you know, a job. I wanted to get, uh, get married. I wanted to have kids and buy a house. So I was very focused. I mean, very, very hyper-focused on, you know, getting my life together and other American kids were not that way. Interesting. So you, you head into college and you go into engineering? I did civil engineering. So kind of talk to us about your, your vocational path, your path you go through in terms of your course of study. Sure. Well, Kim and I met in college Mm -hmm. and we got married right after I graduated and I was working, we were living in Los Angeles. That's where she was from. And I'd moved from, my father was living still in, in the Northern California area. He wasn't in Berkeley anymore. He was in Walnut Creek, but I moved from there down to Southern California, went to school. And right after we, um, I graduated, we got married within about a year, we moved up to Washington state. We bought our first house up there. Our daughter was born up there, Brianna. Uh, she's now 26. She's a nurse and works in, in Los Angeles and then our son, we moved from there to Oregon. Our son was born two years later. He's he's 24. He now lives in Colorado. And 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 I kept moving up in my career. I was getting promotions and getting ahead. And so we moved from Oregon down to Nevada. I'm getting promoted again. And during this time, Kim decided it was probably a good idea for us to introduce the kids to some religious upbringing and now she's from a Jewish background. She's from also from a Jewish background. Both her parents are Jewish, yes. And but very secular, reformed, almost kind of culturally Jewish. And she so we visited synagogues in in Portland, Salem, Oregon, where we were living, and and we visited some synagogues in around uh, northern Nevada where we were living, and just really couldn't find anything we liked. And so she suggested, why don't we visit a church? And in her mind, Judeo Christian kind of rang that there's some similarities and they must read the same Bible. So we'll take the kids to Sunday school and they'll learn the Bible. And then, you know, we'll go sit in the service or do something else. And you, at this point, you don't have any hostility necessarily towards Christians. You've no, not at not all. An unfamiliar. No, no. I mean, I was fascinated, like <clears throat> I said, by the person of Jesus from a, from a young age right. and had met Christians in Israel. And I was very fond of the Christians that I'd met there. In fact, they, I, most of my clothes were donated from, from Christians that had brought boxes of clothing uh, to Israel to help poor Jewish kids like myself. So I had a, and, and I was jealous, like I said, of, of Christians. And so, you know, my identity coming as an American, I mean, I, I thought America was a Christian nation. My identity as an American kid was to come back to America and assimilate into American culture. And so I, I had no issues with assimilating into American culture, which of course to me included Christianity. That was part of the American culture. So, and I was curious, I was like, well, what is, you know, what are all these Christians, you know, worshiping and praying about and what do they do and what do they believe in? And so there was this definite fascination and, and, um, it, it held for, for a long time. Actually, we, we were attending church, uh, probably eight years, you know, we went from Nevada then to New Hampshire for, uh, for two years and then back to Northern California. But, but I, I was fascinated and, but, I, you know, so at some point I, I was going to tell you that, so Kim decides that she wants to help out in the Sunday school. 
And the church said, this is a Methodist church. They said, well, you have to be baptized. And so she, she said, okay, fine, we'll, we'll get baptized. I mean, she's very pragmatic. <laughs> and this is about 1996, and I had just come back from 96 or 97, come back from Israel, my younger sister's wedding. I was there for it and brought a little bottle of water back from the Jordan River. And I asked Reverend Linda, could I pour the water into the sprinkling bowl? Because that's how they baptized you in the Methodist Church. Amazing. And she said, sure. So <laughs> I, I don't know why. I mean, I thought, I mean, I didn't have any sense of spiritual anything or understanding of anything, but I thought it would be kind of cool to be, if we're going to get sprinkled, let's have a connection to the same place that Jesus was baptized. Right. I didn't believe in Jesus necessarily, but I thought, well, let's at least have some connection going on here. So we did, and so mm. I got sprinkled, uh, you know, in the Methodist Church, and then shortly after, we Kim decided to move us to a non-denominational church, and she convinced me to sign up for the praise team. And so here I am, a a, a Jewish guy, young Jewish guy, pr- sprinkled with at a Methodist church with water from the Jordan River on a praise team in a non-denominational church that I think came from a Baptist background, if I remember <laughs> correctly, and. So it you know it's pretty funny if you think if you think about it. Well, I mean the Lord is bringing you ever closer to himself. So you know from your perspective it sounds like at this point, you know, you don't know him yet. No. When does that happen? When do you actually connect with the Lord? From from New Hampshire from uh from Nevada we went to New Hampshire and uh we this time we didn't go to a Methodist church, we went to a Baptist church, conservative Baptist church which was close to our house. And we we were attending the newcomers' polity class, I think is what they call it, and and I was very challenged by a lot of the preachings that I kept hearing from the pulpit, and they told us that the only Bible you could read was the King James. So Kim bought a you know cheap bonded leather Walmart copy of the King James, and I decided to read it. So this was about two thousand one, two thousand two, and I was just by this time you know I'd been like I said for about eight years attending churches. Methodist churches, and we were at a Presbyterian church for a short while, non-denominational church, and now we're here at this Baptist church. And I've got this, this, this lingering question in my head about who is this person of Jesus? Because they, they kept saying he was a Jewish man, but I didn't see anything Jewish about the churches that we had attended. And, and in fact, I always kind of felt like an outsider, to be mm. honest. I mean, I, there was... They were very welcoming, and they were, you know, the, nothing that they ever said was, you know, unfriendly or unwelcoming or anything like that. But I just, I just didn't feel like I connected with them. Like, like we were Jews, and they were not. Just a difference. Interesting. So, at this point in your, in your spiritual journey, you've read the Bible for yourself. Yes. And you've read the New Testament, and surprise of all surprises, Jesus is the Son of God, and you come into this revelation. Yes. Um, and now there's a thousand questions that have to have kicked off inside of you as a, as a Jewish background believer. That's right. Well, I had a million questions before I read the New Testament, <laughs> like, you know, what happens after we die, you know, the usual things, what's the purpose of life, and so on. And then as I'm reading Matthew, the first book, and of course, you know, it was the forbidden book, which my mother said, don't read it. It was written by the Catholic Church, and Paul made up a new religion called Christianity, and it's all a lie. But I'm reading the forbidden book, Matthew, the first chapter, and I'm reading about the Jewish Messiah who came to the Jewish people, and obviously written 
by a Jewish person for a Jewish audience. And I was struck by the, the Jewishness of the narrative and the story. And I realized immediately that, and that reading about the miracles and the healings that Jesus did and the things that he said, I realized immediately he was not like other Jewish prophets that we had read about in the Old Testament. He was not like Moses. He was not like Elijah. He was, he was not like any of them. He was far and above and beyond anything that they had ever done or said. And, and so I, I just knew at that moment that he had to be the Messiah. Mm. He had to be the one that the Jewish people that we've been waiting for for several thousand years. And all these questions that I had previously were all being answered because, you know, he talked about eternal life and he talked about the resurrection and he, he, you know, it talks about the kingdom that is coming and so on. All of these things just clicked and made sense to me. But there was a part of me that was still confused. Sure. And that was, well, if Jesus is Jewish and he came for the Jewish people, then, well, several questions. One is, why did the Jewish people miss and reject him as their Messiah? And that was a big puzzle for me. But the other question was, how come the church seemed to be so indifferent also towards the Jewish people? And why did the church not seem to reflect anything of the culture, of the Jewish culture, that you know I certainly had grown up with in Israel? These are such deep questions, and so what I'd like to do is land the plane in part one of your story. Thank you for answering those questions. Fascinating story, and I want to pick up in part two, Eric, right here. I want to talk to you about these questions that are kind of kicking off inside of your heart uh, right here as you kind of are putting the puzzle together, and now you know there's some bigger questions that starting to come on the horizon. So thank you all for listening to uh, the Commission Podcast. This is episode one, and we'll pick up right here with part two. Uh, and so if you're uh, intrigued by this, please subscribe to our channel. Make sure you get all our latest episodes. Thanks for listening. God bless you. If you have enjoyed this podcast from Commission, make sure you subscribe to our channel and don't forget to visit our ministry websites. We pray the Lord richly blesses you, and we look forward to having you join us again for our next episode.